Um, this morning, we have the privilege of hearing from uh, Pastor Brandon Pine. Brandon is a, the, a youth pastor, correct, at Calvary up in Dover. And um, Brandon has quickly become a good friend and uh, someone who I trust um, a lot. And so um, I'm excited to hear what God has to say through him today. So will you guys give him a huge Anchor Church welcome as he comes to the platform? Brandon. Good morning, Anchor Church. I'm glad to be back with you. I feel like it's just a second church family, so always glad to get the text on whether or not I can come preach. Always excited to be here. Forgive me if my voice goes out a little bit. I just started coaching soccer, and I'm doing a little bit more uh, talking and yelling than usual. So some of the boys have gotten on me a little bit when my voice goes out during yelling, and I'm like, don't make fun of me. You just run more. But yeah, t this morning we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah. Nothing, n no specific passage. We're actually going to skim almost the entire thing, and we're, we're going to kind of do a large Bible study together, and I'll give you some application as we go into it. But Pastor, Pastor Ryan talked about getting something new, and I really hope this might be something really new to a lot of you, as Nehemiah is not the most common Bible character. It's not the most preached on book, so I hope that this is a new story for you and that God gives you something new from his word this morning. So you can go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1 right at the beginning, and I'm going to give you some background. So this is after David and Solomon. This is after the time of the kings in Israel, and we know after we know that the Babylonians came and conquered Jerusalem and conquered Israel. And then years after that, the Persian Empire conquers the Babylonian Empire. And the Persian Empire and their kings allow the Israelites that, who are in exile for 70 years to come back to Jerusalem. And so the first leader, his name was Zerubbabel. He brings the largest group of exiles back to Jerusalem. And then Ezra brings the next group of Israelites back to Jerusalem, and he focuses on rebuilding the, the, the temple. And Ezra rebuilds the temple. And then Nehemiah in this story is going to come back, and he is going to rebuild the walls. But the story begins with Nehemiah talking to his friends. His friends got to go with Ezra and see Jerusalem for the first time. They've been living in exile. These, Nehemiah's never seen his homeland, where he's from. So thinking about maybe your ethnic background, where you're from, and have you been there or not. I'm, my family's from Belize, and I remember when I was really little, some of my family members, my aunts, went to Belize, and they came back, and they showed us a bunch of pictures of what it was like, and I didn't get to go. I've still never been there. I've gotten to travel some places, but never been there, so I hope to get there. And so Nehemiah had this longing to go to Jerusalem. And so his friends come back, and they tell him what it's like. And that's where we pick up verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God in heaven. 
And so it wasn't a good, it was not a good uh, story of, well, how was Jerusalem? Oh, man, it was awesome. No, exact opposite. Hey, it's destroyed. And Nehemiah would have had some way of, he would have known this would have been the case. I mean, that's the whole reason they're in exile is because of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon destroying Jerusalem. But there must have been some hope that over the 70 years something good has happened there. And clearly, clearly that is not the case. And so point one is, are we moved by the destruction of what belongs to God? There's a typo up there. Forgive me. But are, we, are you moved by the destruction of what belongs to God? God gave them the promised land. God gave them the land of Israel and Jerusalem, the city. The city that David fortified. The, the, the temple that Solomon built. In the Old Testament, that is where God dwelt in that city. And God dwelt in that temple, in the Holy of Holies. And it was destroyed. And we see Nehemiah moved by the destruction. In the new, this new covenant, the church that we are, God dwells within us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 teaches us that our, our bodies are the temple. We should be deeply moved when our bodies or somebody else's temple is mistreated. This could be sin that you commit upon somebody else or sin that you commit upon your own body. We should be moved by the destruction of what belongs to God, which is us, which is our bodies, which is our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells with within us, what you eat, what you drink, what you listen to, what you watch. Jesus says, the eyes are the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, so the body will be also. When we sin upon somebody else, or someone sins upon us, or you are just sinning, there's some destruction. There's a longing of, of the Holy Spirit for within your body, that sin, that action to not be there. We should be moved deeply by the sorrow of the Holy Spirit. That, should, that, that sorrow should move us to conviction and repentance to change and for that, those actions to not occur again. When we see somebody else being sinned against, we should have this righteous anger within us to protect what belongs to the Lord. That's what Nehemiah's whole passion was about wanting to get back to Jerusalem of that belongs to the Lord. That was their promised land. And so he's, he wants to defend and bring back to its glory what belongs to the Lord. We should desire to protect what belongs to the Lord, and that is the church. That is you and I. That is our temple. That is your body. Let's learn a little bit about who Nehemiah was. The next slide Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. It's, it's not a particularly intricate job. It's not a difficult job. But it was a very sought-after position. Most of the time. So the cupbearer had to oversee the king's wine from seed all the way to cup. 
to make sure it was not tainted in any way. And if he poured anything into the king's cup that he didn't oversee, or if somebody else poured it, he had to drink it himself to make sure it wasn't poison. But the, the cupbearer was somebody that the king fully trusted, that had access to the king and had favor with the king. We're going to see that access, trust, and favor play out in the next scripture. This chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So go ahead, flip forward just a little bit to chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, I think that's how you say it. It's actually, that's actually January. So in the month of January, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. That is, in translation to nowadays, hey, no offense, but what you know is just going to be something offensive. May the king live forever, but why should my face not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? No offense, king, but one of the cities you destroyed, the Babylonians destroyed it first, but when the Persian Empire came and overtook the Babylonians, more destruction came to the city of Jerusalem. So no offense, but one of the cities you've destroyed is my homeland. Why should I not be sad? The king said to me, what do you want? And that, you got to have some, you got to have some favor to try to go and offend the king or your boss. Then I prayed in the, to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. It doesn't give us how long that time was. We know the actual construction of the walls took 52 days, and we're going to read what it was like for Nehemiah in those 52 days. But he was gone. The king desired him to be back, right? He trusted him. he, he wants him to be his cupbearer, but we know Nehemiah doesn't actually come back to the city of Susa or, or Susha, which was the Persian capital. He doesn't actually come back there for over 12 years, so he doesn't make it back to his old position. The, the king of Persia actually gives him a promotion when he sends him to Judah. He doesn't just give him permission to go. He says, I will make you the governor of Judah while you're there. He makes him, he puts him as the highest position outside of himself, outside of being the king, puts him in charge. And this is what I love, verses 7 and 8, continued favor. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have a letter to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city walls and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So this guy not only got the promotion to, governor, to the governor of the city he desired to go back to, he got the king's unlimited American Express card and the Secret Service to go with him. 
it says that he got a cavalry from the Persian king to go with him back to Jerusalem. And a letter that, letters that say, if you harm me, you're in trouble. You can't harm me. And another that says, I can have whatever I want. You got to give me all the material to build what I need to build, including my private house. Like this guy had favor upon favor from the Persian king. And my next point is to use your power, your position, and your influence to advance the kingdom of God, whatever that may be, and, where, and wherever that may be. God has uniquely put you in a position that you can use to further the gospel in some way. It might not be with this much favor and this directly, but God has put you in a place to further his kingdom. He's put people around you that only you could reach to further his kingdom, to spread his gospel. Let's continue in verse 10. We're going to, re- we're going to meet the, the bad guys of the story. When Sinballat, he just sounds like a bad guy, right? When Sinballat, the Haranite, and Tobias, the Ammonite officials heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. They're angry because somebody has come to promote the welfare of God's people and to rebuild the city. They were the governors of areas that were next to Judah, next to Jerusalem, so it didn't even really affect them. But someone has come on behalf of the Israelites, and they're upset. When you live out the purpose and, will, and the will of God for your life, and you're promoting God's kingdom, you will encounter opposition. Give the devil a reason to be mad about your life, about what you're doing. John 15 verse 18 says this, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. That's Jesus. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Sometimes you'll have favor, like Nehemiah and the king. Sometimes you'll encounter opposition, like Nehemiah and Sinballat. If you have no spiritual opposition in your life, it means the devil has no reason to come at you. If, you, if everything you do and believe is in line with the, the ways of the world, it means you belong to the world. Don't be mad at me. That's what verse 19 says. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. So if you have no opposition to the world and its plans, that means you belong to the world. I pray you don't encounter too much opposition in your life. I pray, I pray that you have favor in your life, but you will have opposition when you are living out God's purpose for your life. That is a sign in your life that you are on purpose. You are on mission for the gospel. It means you will encounter opposition. The world will hate you. Keep in mind, Jesus says, it will hate you. It hated him first. If you have no spiritual opposition, let that be a check for your life and your spirit. Hey, maybe I'm not on mission properly because Jesus promised that we would encounter opposition. I pray that ultimately your favor outweighs your opposition, like the case in Nehemiah, but it might not. Your opposition may outweigh your favor, like when you see Paul constantly getting locked up over and over and over again for the case of the gospel when we read the book of Acts. Either way, you must, you will face opposition. 
Let's continue reading in chapter 4. How to recognize, we're going to recognize the tactics of the enemy. When Senballat was had heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly seized. He ridiculed the Jews, sorry, the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those fabled Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring back the stones, bring the stones back to life from this heap of rubble as they are burned? Tobias the Ammonite, who had heard, who was by his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox can climb up on it and it would break the walls down. Recognize the, the, the attacks of the enemy in your life. Notice how all they can really do is try and get the Israelites to doubt what they're doing has any meaning. Know when you are living in God's mission and don't doubt it when people are trying to pull you back and pull you down. I love Nehemiah's response to this. Continuing in verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over to the plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till it was till it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Look, Jesus said to Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yeah, but that ain't that ain't Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah says, Don't forgive them. Remember what they remember who they're insulting. They're throwing these insults at your people and at you. Let them feel the full wrath is what Nehemiah is trying to pray, to pray upon his enemies. He doesn't take it upon himself. He, he, he's trying to pray them away. Pray your problems away. He doesn't, he doesn't take it upon himself. He doesn't exact revenge upon them. Scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's just trying to enact that vengeance from the Lord, saying, take care of him. I love it. He's a man of, of passion. He just wants them gone. Act in love. Hey, but if you, you have an opposition, you have a mountain in front of you, you have enemies in front of you, you have that unfavor that you should be facing because the world should hate you, ask the Lord to take care of it. Pray it away. Go down to verse 10 just a little bit. We'll continue. So they're doing well. And Sinbalit and Tobias can't really do anything. They continue. This fly is killing me. Sorry. Sinbalit, you're going to see, we're going to see more of him. Sinbalit and Tobias in this story can't really do anything to Nehemiah, but threaten him, if we remember why, because Nehemiah has the letters that say, I can do what I want and you can't harm me. But all they can do is try and be annoying like this fly and get Nehemiah to stop. Somebody pray this fly away. Let's continue verse 10. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Just like four verses earlier, they were working with all their heart, and they they were able to build the wall halfway, and now they get halfway, and all of a sudden they're tired and they can't go anymore. 
their strength is giving out, and the rubble is in the way from them, their continued success. You may do well in times in the Lord, but understand this. If you don't get rid of the rubble, the spiritual rubble in your life, it will hinder your spiritual growth. We can't just think, yeah, my, my old life is gone, and I have new life. Amazing. That's the most beautiful thing in the world. But if you, we don't deal with the sins that we commit and the sins of the past, it will hinder how far you can actually go in the Lord and how much you can actually do in the Lord. They didn't clear the rubble out of the city before they rebuilt the walls. They're just trying to do it with the rubble all around them. We need to actually face our sin, repent of it, turn, get rid of it, not just ask for forgiveness and move on, like turn from it, repent, and go get rid of it out of our lives. And if it's trauma, I pray the Lord heals people instantaneously. But a lot of times we need to deal with the trauma of past. Praise God for Christian counselors and therapists and things like that to help people deal with real rubble that's been in their heart and in their, in their lives since they were little kids. We need to actually deal with things, get, how to, learn how to properly get rid of rubble in our past so that you can go further in the Lord's presence. Amen? So this is halfway through the construction project, and their strength is gone. So what Nehemiah does, he stands up, he gathers the people, and he gives an awesome halftime speech. Verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Anchor Church, fight for your families, amen? Fight for your sons and daughters, amen? Fight for your wives, men of God, amen? Men of God, fight for your wives, amen? Men of God, fight for your families, amen? Fight for your homes. What a short and powerful halftime speech, I love it. He meets them where they're at in their fear. It says, do not be afraid. Redirects their fear into confidence, not in themselves, but in confidence in the Lord. Do not be afraid. Remember that your Lord is great and awesome, and he gives them tangible things that are really important, worth protecting, a reason to rebuild the walls, something worth your families, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. You know, when you're watching a movie or you've played sports and somebody gives that great halftime speech and everybody stands up and they're like, yeah, and they run back out in the field and they win. Nehemiah gives this halftime speech. The men of Israel stand up and amen, and they go back out. And let's see what happens after the halftime speech. Verse 16, from that day on, half of the men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held their weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. 
I'd say that was a pretty successful halftime speech. I, I love the imagery that is, that is put here. People got to focus on the work, and the other people were at their backs protecting them as they worked because they knew Sinballat and Tobias were still threatening to come, but they were motivated to finish the walls, and everybody else that wasn't working, their shift was to protect the people that were working. Imagine if that was how the church worked even greater, to pray for one another, to have each other's backs. We are the hands and feet of God. And we, the scripture says, right, with the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the shoes of peace, and the shield of faith, nothing specifically for your back. And people say, yeah, God's got your back. 100% true. But God has put something in place called the church. That's how God's got your back, through his church, through his people. That's how we're, we're supposed to build each other up. We're supposed to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We're supposed to encourage one another. That's having people's backs. That's being there when they need it. That's pushing them towards Jesus when they need it. This is a person-to-person concept, ministry-to-ministry and church-to-church. Because we're all the Lord's church and we should be having each other's back as we are trying to advance the kingdom of God. Now one last time, annoying Toby, office fans will love that, and Sinbalat try to threaten Nehemiah. And Shemaiah, one of Nehemiah's advisors, comes to him. Chapter 6, so go ahead and flip forward. Chapter 6, verse 10 says this, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabel, who was shut in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? No, I will not go. Church, The sanctuary of the church, this gathering place, is meant to be a light on the hill, a home for the homeless, a hospital for the sick. It's not a hideaway from our enemies. It's not a secret club meant to keep people out. God's people should never back down from the attacks of the world. The one who is within you is greater than he who is in the world. And Nehemiah knew that God, his God was greater. And he also knew that his paperwork from the Persian king was greater than Sinbala and Tobias. And that's just some extra confidence. We should never just be the church that meets Sunday morning and then our faith is turned off until we come back and turn the lights on in the church the next Sunday morning. We are the church here and we are the church when we leave this place. Don't back down from the ways the world Go, to, go at the attacks of the world with confidence that the God within you is greater because you know you're going to encounter those attacks anyway. We already started with that. Know when you leave here, hey, the people here, they love you. They love everything you stand for. And when you leave here, they hate you. You know that. We know that now, right? Jesus said it, John 15, 18. So go with confidence. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. But don't back down and run away from them either. Nehemiah said, I will not go into the temple to hide from the people that want to kill me. 
he goes right back out to the wall and continues to build it. And let's look at, let's go to verse 16. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. They finished, the temp- they finished building the walls with the help of the Lord and this struck fear into the surrounding, and to the surrounding nations. They struck fear into Sinbalat and Tobias and the, the regions that they govern because they just realized with the help of Israel's God, that their power is dwindling. Let us have confidence as we face opposition. The ending's already written, isn't it? It's already in place. Jesus already rose from the grave, amen? You win because he already won. That's the confidence that we should face our opposition with just like he faced his opposition with the strength of his papers. You should face the opposition with the strength of your Lord, knowing, hey, I already read it, and Jesus already rose from the grave. It doesn't matter what you do to me, even in this physical body, it doesn't matter. Paul was confident no matter what chains he faced, no matter what circumstances they put him in, the Roman Empire. He knew Jesus was risen from the grave. He saw Jesus himself, and he faced and he. He faced and he finished the race well. I have one last point. Immerse your life in prayer. If you read the entirety of this book, it's 13 chapters long. It includes 14 different prayers of Nehemiah. From the very beginning of the book in chapter 1 to the very end, the book actually ends with Nehemiah praying. Chapter 9 is one long prayer. Immerse your life in prayer from the little things to the really big things. When you need favor, pray to the Lord for favor, and I, pray, and I hope it comes upon you. When you're threatened and you face opposition, pray when you face opposition. Don't take it just upon yourself. Pray for strength from the Lord. Pray that the Lord would enact his vengeance. Pray them pray away just like Nehemiah tried to pray them away. And when you're successful, in the purposes and the will of God, pray and praise the Lord for what he has done in and through you. It's not just by your own strength. What did that last scripture say? That they finished the work and it was done by the help of our God. Praise when you are successful in your efforts for the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen, church. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word. The example that we see and your leader, and your prophet, Nehemiah. I pray that we would take the points that your scripture are teaching us and that we would apply them to our lives, that we would recognize opposition, that we would know that you are greater within us than any opposition we face in the world. I pray favor over your church, over the people of your church here this morning, Lord God, in their individual lives. Would you grant them and see them favor as they try to advance your kingdom? When they're putting in the efforts trying to advance the gospel, would you give them physical and earthly favor just as we see Nehemiah get favor from the king of Persia? Would you, would you give Anchor Church favor in the city of Milford as, as Anchor Church try, brings, continues to bring the gospel to the hurting people of Milford, Delaware? Would you give them 
more favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for Pastor Brandon? Brandon, that was awesome. Thank you. That was so good. So good, man. Man, are we moved by the destruction of what belongs to God? That was, that was really good. That was, that was convicting to think about. Use your position and influence to advance the kingdom of God and immerse yourself in, immerse your life in prayer. Um, so good. He did say something, though, that uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say something a little different. He said, I pray that you don't have a lot of opposition. I pray that you have a ton of opposition. I pray that I have a ton of opposition because James chapter one, verses two and three says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I pray that we face a lot of opposition because that will, that will boost our faith. It'll increase our faith and our trust in the Lord. Brandon is so good. So good. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, man, yeah, really good. Um, before I dismiss today, um, I just wanted to um, just uh, have a few housekeeping things. Um, first, just wanted to remind everybody at 3 o'clock today, uh, bowling at Milford Bowling Lanes. Um, you're all invited. Um, so uh, come bowl. Um, there's going to be an open kitchen, all that stuff. So come bowl, eat, have fun, all that good stuff. And then um, uh, starting next week, we're jumping back into our Least Last Lois series before uh, we took a, a couple weeks off to uh, welcome baby Topanga to our family. We started a series called Least Last Lois. Next week, we're jumping back into that. So um, come prepared uh, for that to, to hear from the Lord um, in that in that way. So uh, let me say one last prayer and we can be dismissed today. Uh, stand with me if you would. If you're physically able, stand with me and we'll pray one last time and be dismissed. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you, God, for the, the word that you gave us this morning. I pray, God, that, that we would be encouraged by it, that we would know that you are with us, that you, you do have our back and you have our back through the church. That, that you are, are here, that you are not far off. You're right here with us. We love you, God. We thank you. And finally, may the grace, mercy, and peace of God be with you all. From God the Father and from the Father's Son, Jesus, in truth and love. Amen and amen. Thanks for worshiping with us, everybody. Have a great day. We will see you at 3 p.m. at Milford Bowling Lanes for, for bowling today. See you then.